Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show. Today on the program, we'll be hearing from Tioka San Ghost Horse. He is a member of the Cheyenne River Lakota Nation of South Dakota and was visiting 3CR earlier this year doing some recording for a documentary with Gane Kurnai First Nations activist and 3CR broadcaster Robbie Thorpe. And we managed to take a few minutes in the studio to chat about nuclear issues for the radioactive show. Yeah, I'm just a, uh, in our language in Lakota, we call ourselves the Kichewichasha, which essentially means common person or common human. Uh, my name uh, from my family is the Chetanzi, uh, which means yellow hawk. Um, my name, in the sense of the family, comes from ghost horse, and uh, Teokas and ghost horse is my name. I'm from the 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 geographical center of North America, which we call Turtle Island, right? But they still say it's America or Turtle Island or United States. So the history that we have uh, comes before 1492 up until now, and uh, I host a radio program, mothered out of New York City and uh, heard on 98 stations, I think, uh, now um, throughout North America. And uh, yeah, that's what I am. I'm from. I uh, grew up on a what they call a reservation in South Dakota, which now is the state of South Dakota, and uh, traveled the world talking about quantum physics within our language. Tell me a little bit about your radio program and the kind of things that you talk about on that show. Is that the same focus? It, it is, but it, it um, <clears throat> originally I, I had. Started this in 1992 when I was a younger man, of course. But I wanted to to let people know that you have to listen to your elders because that's what I did in the beginning of of listening to a man who said simply said, uh, "It's your turn," and I didn't know what that meant. And it was a gathering of the quincentennial or 500 year survival of. Columbus, who thinks he discovered us, in San Francisco, where 200,000 Native people gathered and marched all day and into the night where we had festivities celebrating that we were still alive when it was against all odds that we shouldn't be. So I began to ponder a couple of days later, and by accident, uh, the, the, the radio program began with somebody having me read a Christopher Columbus a poem about him sailing the seven oceans blue or something, and I could not. I never been on a radio. I was all excited and maybe too excited because I got nervous once the the, the microphone was turned on, and I had noticed that the, what I was given to be read uh, was written in ink, and I my sweat had blotted the ink, and I didn't know what I couldn't read what it was about, and they asked me to say, say say something, just say something. I have three minutes. So the, here it is, 30 minutes later, I'm still saying something, and the phone board was lit up, and and he has said that, uh, you need to get a radio show. I mean, your voice <laughs> needs to be heard. 
And then about a week later, the pro, the school that I was going to, the college radio station, KAOS in Olympia, Washington, uh, there was a, a young man then by the name of Gary Wessels Galbraith who, who had a show, Indigenous People's Radio or something, and eventually I joined him as a co-host, and we changed the program name to um, View from the Shore, because that's how we saw Columbus. It was a view from the shore. And since then, we've been I've been going... At that time, a month later, two month a month later, I um, was in charge. I guess given my own radio program, and that first radio program was called "Exposing the Apologetic Predator," because it came right to understanding all the issues that at that time Indigenous peoples weren't so well heard of. Some would even think, out of their own naivety, that Indigenous was a plant. You know, and uh, it, it became much more than that later after 1992. And uh, to understand um, the the the, um, the issues that we all have, all of us as as indigenous folks, all of us around the world, somewhere along the line we were indigenous. And uh, that a lot of us have, as humans, have left that and lost it and are still looking for the connection of what it means to be indigenous. And... This um, idea came to me. I said, no, no one's speaking for that. We're, we're talking about tribal people, but we're not talking about all peoples. We're along the lines of human history. Um, we've come to believe uh, in one way of thinking about primitive and modern and civilized, civilized people when a lot of the so-called primitive people um, would not have, they would not have gotten us in modernized people here because it wasn't for the primitive and and will leave the idea of progress and monkeys and evolution behind because when you look into the indigenous stories of all creation stories of who we are rather than the myth they hold the science within the stories and how to balance within the stories the people your living conditions um, and how to look at life as more of a fruitful, generous, abundant, and a giving rather than a sharing story. And uh, I think that's the vernacular that we miss as humans even today because of what we do to the earth. So, And with that behind, that spirit of, of bringing their voices, earth voices, the message of the earth much, much bigger than our own as humans, I wanted to bring those people who aren't experts— to the air that had the experience, that had sort of apocryphon um, perspective where you can't teach this, you can't uh, write about it, but you have to experience it, which is more or less of an intuition. So those values, those languages of intuition of the people still sustaining their ability to live with the earth were not looking for sustainable development, but they were sustaining the thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of years old culture with the earth rather than with civilization. So those voices I thought needed to be heard <clears throat> simply because of those simple words the old man said, your turn. And that that's uh, the format of, of that program, and it continues to this day 28 years later. Speaking about what is happening to the earth, understand that you grew up in an area where there was a lot of uranium mining. Yeah, when when I was a young child, um, four or five, I, um, a lot of tragedy happened. Of course, a lot of Native people. But I want to talk about the tragedy of Earth. 
that um, what we're doing to the earth is, is not a good thing even to this day. Then, at four or five years old, I recognized something. Um, a lot of our people were getting sick, and even I got sick myself. Um, <clears throat> and I think remembering at, at that age, before I went into to, to boarding school, into school, we were given jars of milky white jars because you knew there was something, and they were about a half a gallon or uh, two liters full of tablets, and these tablets were white salt tablets, and they were filled with iodine. And they had said that we, as these as native children, had to take these pills until the whole jar. So it was about a year we took these, and every day we had these salt tablets with iodine. <clears throat> Later, I heard, as I began to understand the process of speaking English and, and and knowing what concepts were about and reaching out further, I kept wondering about that time, why we had to take these little tablets. And I come to know in the 70s when I was in my teenage years uh, that <clears throat> they were taken to prevent or radiation effects. So I, I inquired more with some of my active family who were activists at that time through the American Indian Movement, and what they did was, was they looked the information, but they did the research. They brought that to light, that in Nevada, and it is to date that they had exploded 999 atomic bombs underground and above ground in a Nevada uh, testing site, a proven, prov- proving site, I think they call it, in the, near Las Vegas. And um, <clears throat> still there, they, they have war games at nighttime, you can see the tanks and the, the, the planes and the lights, and you can see almost um, a virtual reality. If you watched a, a today's virtual reality video game, it was like that, but we could see it maybe 20 miles away. And so <clears throat> that really came to mind about the times when we were young taking these tablets that a lot of people were getting cancer. Now, we didn't have a word for cancer in our language, so we had to find one. And when when I heard that we didn't have a word, it's like oh, so we didn't we didn't have this. What was causing this? So we found out. I found out after that the nine hundred ninety nine atomic bombs were exploded. That that fallout at with the trade winds came and they fell over western South Dakota. And there, in nineteen seventy two, President Nixon at that time declared by executive decision that the, West, the whole of western South Dakota was declared national sacrifice area. And at that time, they had discovered, again, in South Dakota, which is four states away, I believe, Nevada is near California, and, and South Dakota is joined with Minnesota and Iowa and North Dakota and Nebraska. So it's a few states away. And um, that fall had affected not only Native people, but all life there. So... I looked into it, which years later I'd find out that two out of five people have cancer in western South Dakota. And uh, no one talks about it. The ranchers were all failing. Uh, non-native ranchers were failing. And they were even mining for the companies just to keep their heads above water, to keep the hold of property, you know, taxes and all, and even keeping their cattle. And uh, so along the lines of this radiation that I found was affecting all of us, that that when they discovered uranium underneath 
the whole of western South Dakota. It made made sense that they knew what they were doing when they decided to um, designate this uh, national sacrifice area. That in in time that they would also be bearing the, the the nuclear waste in that land that is very old. Now this is in the the geographical center of North America is South Dakota, Black Hills, and that whole of western South Dakota. So it's an, it's an old land, and and they say that. Uh, in the Black Hills, are um, the old. They are the oldest mountains in North America, and they're they're so worn. But they used to be as tall as Mount Everest at one time. Um, that there was a, a huge amount of rare rare min, min, rare metals there, uh, rare element. Uh, there was um, things like gold was there, still there, coal, oil, all these elements, and uranium especially, and they had opened up. Still today, there are open pit, abandoned open pit mining, uranium mines, which at times during the summer, because western South Dakota is very windy, that they, the wind would take the, the, the yellow dust and blow it into the air. And the whole of the western South Dakota, we, you would see like a brown haze coming. And I knew that that's what that was from. So, and I talked to people, warned them, but they wouldn't believe me. Um, so I had to get out, and I knew that. And with working with other Native people who were scientists also, went to go research these mines. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, recorded at 3CR in Melbourne on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation and broadcast across the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. We're hearing from Teokasan Ghost Horse. And we knew because... Um, we were used to these big trucks coming through and, and disappearing into the to the wilderness, which was basically open prairie and rolling hills, and uh, that these trucks were carrying things. And um, I came to know them as intercontinental ballistic missiles. So in the center of North America was more an array of missiles during the Cold War in the 50s, 60s, and up in the 70s. And they're still there. Um, but these also... In the digging for the the silos underground, they also would go and test drill for uranium and other minerals and, and elements, and um, they discovered more uranium. So they would go and basically above mine, open pit, they would dig the, the uranium right there a few feet, and they would dig it. And now it's the whole of it, the earth of that northwestern part of South Dakota has been gouged open pit mines, sometimes anywhere from 100 feet to a mile to two miles long. And they're open. And because no one sees them, since it's so remote, that no one cares. And our people, the ones that were brave enough, have gone there with Geiger counters. And some people say it's a secret Chernobyl. And some places are so irradiated, such as they know now as uh, Fukushima. And this is one place I've also visited. In Fukushima, 
and uh, that they are hot spots in western South Dakota that you can you have to go between these hot spots with a Geiger counter. But in that discovering of what happened there, they also had with when they were testing these canyons and they would see this yellow yellow haze on the rocks and they knew that there was uranium in the canyons but along the canyons were all these petroglyphs that our people would paint and carve into them and they destroyed over 100,000 of them of our culture so but we they said well we took pictures of them but it's not the same as us being allowed to go there because in 1978 was that year as we as native people in North America in the United States were allowed freedom of religion and before that we couldn't we still can't really go out and do what we want to because we have to pay to go pray, we say, um, to our sacred sites, which um, are modeled after the star star constellation of Pleiades. And so we knew that the, the tragedy of the earth was what the message was about. And so we switched, a lot of us switched our mentality from human rights, um, human rights, human injustices, um, we we start talking about the earth, which gave us more strength, rather than what can we get past within their laws and their courts, and speak their language, which manipulated how we would live with the earth. And I think that's the cry. I guess you'd say the call to pay attention to what is unseen. It's radiation everywhere. It's even going through our heads now. The the waves of it. And uh, it's maybe distorting our, our, our thoughts. And we don't want to think about it because we're so, we, we, we know how to deny. And the more intelligent we are, at least I know, with this education of the West, that we're able to rationalize even better. And more so, we create more rationalization in the denial of it. And so one of them is nuclear um, and the effects of that. Um, there are so many stories in the Western half of, United States with many Native peoples because they're on the ground. They're not in, in cities away from the exposure, right? Mm-hmm. Yet some in the cities don't know that because of they, they take it out of the rural places the, that what they use to, to power generators for, for uh, lights and other things and even our phones and whatnot, they're made from that same irradiated metal. Yeah. Here, First Nations people have powerful stories about the uranium and about not disturbing it in the land or being places that you should not go. Do you have a similar yeah. experience? Yeah, we could be just so um, everything is energy, and whether or not we're using it properly, or even addressing and acknowledging it. So the the old ones that I'd say sounds very, you know, once upon a time story, but. Uh, the old ones, as we say, there was a there was a word called unkchela, which meant monster, and that monster was an aberrant of nature, and didn't think, but to destroy, and they at one time put put these monsters to sleep, and that if we ever just dis- disturbed them again, they would get up and continue to destroy. So, as indigenous folks, as we know, we have to continue to to speak our language. And understand the energy because our ener- our language is that energy, and to put them back to sleep again, and what they have done is disturbed these monsters, and we say that's not just a physical monster, but it it affects us physically, 
destroys us physically because we left uh, how to acknowledge those dangers behind. Um, we left that behind, and now we, we're just uh, taking advantage of the monster who will not ever be taken advantage of because it will destroy. It's aberrant, aberrant thinking. So when we think about monsters, we think in energy first, and that's what uranium is, mm. or the lack, or the the last lack of knowledge of how to use it. And anything can be, uh, you can abuse anything if you abuse the the energy of it. If you don't know how to use it properly, you don't ask, um, and you take it for granted that that because you as a human are very supreme to that very energy that energy will someday overtake you anyway because that's what you are so we lose the languages about and and the stories and the ceremonies about how to put these energies asleep such as fukushima now if you go throughout the western hemisphere which is north and south america today a lot of these native peoples you have 6000 languages that were destroyed and now only 100, 150 in North America alone in, in the United States. But in Canada and, and, and the, the rest of the Americas, there are hundreds of more languages that still um, come from that intuitive language of the earth, I'd say. These languages are filled with quantum physics, a very scientific language about how to speak with that monster. And so we've been going to places like Fukushima and because we've been through this before. Our experience is that, yes, one time we had technology and we abused ourselves too as long with Earth. And then we regained our knowledge of who we are and uh, were able to, to put these monsters back to sleep, mm-hmm. right? So they're, they're needed too to show us that we are un, in, unbalanced mm-hmm. and we use them as medicine. Maybe if they're bad medicine showing us what we should not do, but also what we still can do. And that's the way we look at it. But we, if we want to sit down and measure everything and the effects of it all and weigh it and, and then make our decisions, well, I think things are backwards with that, you know, because that's the Western way of doing things is you make a judgment about how economically jobs and whatnot while well, you destroy the very, rest- the very source where these jobs come from. It doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any final messages you'd like to leave for the listeners of the show? I, I don't know if the people would know this, but they, they feel it for sure that there's a holiday coming up in December. In that time, people say during the Christmas, they say, peace on earth, peace on earth, peace on earth. And you've been here, we've been hearing that for thousands of years since they got to, at least in, in the United States. We've been hearing that for a long time now, and we still can't figure that out because all we know is peace with Earth. You see, I think that that is the tree roots consciousness of all of us, right? Because peace on Earth is is still a mental grassroots mentality. So if we go deeper, it is peace with Earth, and to understand the trees who have that peace with Earth, to understand the animals who have that peace with Earth and those peoples who still speak the language of peace with Earth. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining thank, us oh, thank and you. all your sharing. Thank, thank you yeah. very much. Yeah.
brings us to the end of today's radioactive show. We've been hearing from Teoka-san Ghost Horse, member of the Cheyenne River Lakota Nation in South Dakota and presenter of First Voices radio program. And if you'd like to listen to his show, you can go to the website firstvoicesindigenousradio.org. They're based in New York, currently the epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak on Turtle Island. And we are sending our heartfelt wishes to all the folks there and around the world who are suffering due to the pandemic. It felt like a good time to listen to this conversation during the month-long Global Days of Action on Military Spending, with the theme for this year, Healthcare Not Warfare, resonating deeply. The International Peace Bureau estimates 182 trillion US dollars of military spending globally each year, whilst healthcare systems are under-resourced and unequipped to handle the health crisis that we're experiencing. Coordinated by the International Peace Bureau, the Global Days of Action on Military Spending run from April 10 to May 9, and you can find the links to the many events that are happening around the world at their website, ipb.org.au If you have some time for a local action and you haven't already made a submission to the review of the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Act, their end date was officially Friday 17th of April, but they're still accepting late submissions for a short while. And for more information on how the nuclear industry is pushing for the nuclear power ban and the uranium trigger to be lifted under this review, you can go to the Don't Nuke the Climate website. And the address is don't-nuke-the-climate.org.au forward slash nuclear hyphen ban. If you missed the discussion about the ways that the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Act is deeply flawed, that was on the Radioactive Show last week, you can listen back to the podcast on our webpage 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive and just click on Yaliri Dodgy Political Interference. Thanks so much to Teoka Sun Ghost Horse for the conversation and the music that we've been hearing on the show today. I encourage you to listen to the 27-minute-long track in full. It's called Rises from the Depths and it's on the Ghost Horse album From the Continuum. Thanks so much to ACE Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth in Melbourne for their ongoing support for the show and to the Community Radio Network for getting this program out to listeners on community radio stations across the country. It's a vital time to keep supporting independent media makers, so please subscribe to shows and stations that you love and listen to. Thanks so much for tuning in and join us again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.